Hey y'all, you're listening to Diagnosing Sitcoms and Movies, the DSM podcast. We help make mental health more comfortable by using Black movies and shows we know and love and culture to remove stigma. So join our convo with your host, Courtney Copeland, licensed mental health counselor. And Dr. B, licensed professional counselor. We just want to open this episode with a dedication to the GOAT that is DMX. Um, Rosie, what are some of your thoughts and just what just comes to mind when you think about it? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> my dog looked at me like what? <laughs> <laughs> it was my life goal to learn how to growl just like DMX he had that shit on lock but um, when I think about him I automatically one of my favorite favorite things that DMX has ever done and it's so childish mm-hmm. is the Jingle Bells remix that he did <laughs> And that, I think that video and that song in itself just humanized him because, you know, he always saw him as like DMX song, you know, and that <laughs> actually humanized him. So, um, yeah, I, I think I'm, I'm, I'm so sad that he's gone and he, he had to go the way he did, but I pray that he rests in peace. I could not agree more. Um, DMX is my favorite rapper of all times, and I will argue anybody down (laughs) about it um, because not only could he rap well, he also has so many styles. Like, he could do storytelling. He could be lyrical. He could have songs for women, have club bangers, and then still make that gritty shit that we all love. Like... (laughs) He and could battle like and could freestyle and make good songs and it's just an art. He was an all around rapper and all around uh, hip hop legend. And there's not many people that could do all of the things that he did on top of performing well, writing well, like just so many things that he was good at. And as far as like I, on top of him being like my favorite rapper of all time. He was just also really an important figure for me growing up. Like I definitely had DMX poster on my wall for multiple years. He he just, him as a human being was just so important. And I am having, well, was having a really hard time with the loss and ver- trying to verbalize like what X meant to me as like a human being. Um, but I definitely feel like once I watched the funeral service, and Tashira got up there and, and spoke and said that in all of the strength that just exuded out of her, um, I felt at peace after that. I felt like, okay, I'm good. Like Tashira said, it's okay. He, she told us he was tired and it's okay. So ever since then, I think I've been okay. Before that girl, I was a hot mess. <laughs> but after hearing her, cause I really wanted to hear from her, after hearing from her, I think I'm good. And I'm happy that we can do this um, this episode to honor him. Yes, absolutely. It's a wonderful feeling to get away from the pain. And up under the ceiling, I get away from the rain. And the strain that I feel when I'm here is gone. I know real, so I wipe away the tear, song. And I almost lost faith when you took my man. Monty, Paso, and Dre's brother Dan. And I fear that what I'm saying won't be heard until I'm gone. But it's all good, because I really didn't expect to live long. So if it takes for me to suffer, for my brother to see the light, 
Give me pain till I die. But please, Lord, treat him right. Iconic, legendary, like that intro that I like. We have not seen anything before or since that intro to that movie with the just the visuals that we see, the acapella of Soul to Soul, like everything together, the contact lenses, like oh, it's just it's it's hip hop imagery. Just it's like a dream. I just love it. <laughs> it was pretty dope, you know. Um, I was thinking to myself, like, I wasn't expecting what I was watching to match the actual music with it. So when I was watching, I was like, okay, I'm feeling the vibe, you know? You know, they live in life, they live in large, because that's how it opens up. You're like, oh, wow, they, they run the club, whatever, cool, cool, cool. <laughs> and then... <laughs> The beat drops in it. <laughs> I was like, ooh, ooh. <laughs> this shit just got real. So it, it was like I was expecting like more party vibe. You know, and I think watching it now, um, after watching something like Power, it's like that's what I was like. I thought they was gonna be having this celebrity, you know popping bottles type vibe to them and they straight up robbed them. <laughs> I was like, oh. So that's where the movie's going. Okay, got it. <laughs> got it, got it, got it. This is not glitz and glam gangster shit. This is real gangster shit. Okay, got it. So <laughs> that was my that was my first thought about it. <laughs> I just liked like the, I just, again, we've never seen anything like that before. We haven't seen anything like that since a lot of the movie's budget actually went to that, <laughs> oh. that first little intro because I mean, I, this was Hype Williams first time directing a movie where he had been doing music videos before and you get that full on music video vibe yes. from it and yes. the, the blue tint and everybody shiny and everybody's skin mm -hmm. is looking amazing. Even the strippers look good. And it was mm -hmm. just like they were shot in a way that you don't usually see strippers shot. So that was cool. Like it just, it was so dope. I just love it. Thank you, Hype, for giving us that. But not only that, like the whole way that this movie was shot, 
and the cinematography of it and the lighting and the tents and all of the blue hues and the different things that were communicated by with the lighting, with the camera shots, with the angles that they use, with the film lenses and giving us different views and how the camera would move. All of that was just so intricate. And I just appreciate the artistry of it. And that being put, all of that being put onto a hood movie, uh, like a, like you said, real gangster shit. I thought that it just, it all came together so perfectly and so seamlessly. And I just, it made me want to, for the world to be like, to really get a vision that like we have so many talented, like there's so much artistry, there's so much creativity in all of the things that we do that exist in our culture. And sometimes it gets overshadowed because of the gangster shit. But I think this film shows how much artistry and creativity can go alongside gangster shit. Like we could tell our stories in a beautiful way too. <laughs> we can, we can. And I love everything you said about the movie. And here's my critique. Oh, no. Well, Rosie, you know what? It's been nice being your friend. Um. <laughs> <laughs> now she kicking me to the curb. <laughs> okay, wait. No. Let, I'll be open. Uh, let me let me put my listening ears on. Okay, I'm ready to receive what you have you ready to say. To okay. All right. The acting. Okay, I'll give you that. The acting. I will give you that. <laughs> okay, and so less on the not miss. Okay, so not even the acting as much as like the script. Like, okay, the yes. plot. Like we had one, and then towards and the then middle, like lost. we just didn't. Like we just didn't have one anymore. Like you know just, what my theory is? My theory you is ran out Nas, of money. Nah, <laughs> said I got something. I got something. Hold on. You know his little his his raspy voice. Don't you make fun of my imaginary husband? Don't you do that? (laughs) We're gonna make him turn Muslim, and then I'm gonna go to Africa. (laughs) (laughs) That's such a nice ending. Okay, so so here's what I will say: (laughs) is that I feel like they were trying to communicate something that if you if you do not have a penitentiary figure <laughs> in your life Bruh. that got knowledge of self while incarcerated then that part might go over your head because like what they were trying to communicate was that all of us can be enlightened with knowledge of self and that's all that's all that we need all of us to be like successful healthy human beings because like yeah we can still do ignorant street stuff we can still be criminally involved but we don't shit. have that knowledge of self that we just lost. And I think that might, that's what I took away. Uh, you're right. I'm sorry. You're just right. The plot, I don't know. I don't think it was I'm not though. Know. It will not be blamed on him <laughs> because he wasn't even supposed to be in that role that he was in. So there's that. Okay. <laughs> okay, fine. I mean, he did produce it. So if you I mean, so. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. You're right. You're right. <laughs> so. I feel like but, hype was like I got this idea, Nas, and they were just like, "Yeah, let's do it." But and then someone passed the blunt, and then it just went it went here into the to the smoke cloud. Where I, see, okay, here's my thing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm ready. It hurts, but I'm ready. <laughs> it's because like okay, he's he literally says, and I quote. I'm out here smoking weed, speeding, all that. And I'm a, they, they, them cops ain't cut fucking with me. 
said, this bitch ass police can't touch me. That's who the fuck I am, Mr. Untouchable. Right. And Mr. <laughs> Untouchable. So, with that being said, and then really living up to the fact that he is untouchable kind of made me feel some type of way because, yes, he really got away. He got away with it. Like, he just was like, oh, I'm going to go work undercover with this Muslim man, try to kill him, and then I'm untouchable. Not untouchable. He was safe. We all need second chances. I feel like that was his... Okay, so the, so the Muslim man, was he supposed to be Farrakhan? Was he supposed to be Elijah Muhammad? I don't, I, okay. And so like, you know, whatever with that. But mm-hmm. he was, we all needed to be reached. Tommy was lost. He was the lost lamb and he just needed somebody to bring him in so that he could be okay. Like so much talent and he was wasting it because he didn't have knowledge of self. I'm going to stop trying to tie it and make it make sense. I'm going to just let it be what it is. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm going to go back to honoring DMX. And so, (laughs) for this to be his first film role, like for him to have never acted, he did fucking amazing. He was the best actor in the film. And this was his first movie role. And so, Again, to uh, just another testament of how dope and amazing and awesome and talented that he was for this to be his first role. And what I don't know if everybody knows, the role was initially intended to go to Jay-Z. I can't see Jay-Z as as fun. It would have been a different, it would have been a very different movie. Very different. I would see that turning into power. (laughs) Jay-Z is more of the power guy. (laughs) He was able to get out of the game. You know, but can uh, you can you envision Hov talk about <laughs> punk ass police can't touch me? <laughs> I'm Mr. Untouchable. <laughs> like I, no, it's not the same. Hey, man. <laughs> <laughs> I could. I okay, could. I can. I can. I'm I can, just I can see it too. Yeah. Actually, I can see them in the car smoking the blood, having that conversation. It just with the tone. It just would flow. Different. It would. Demons was yelling the whole movie. I loved it. I loved every second of it. I love it. He was being himself. Like, he was just like, oh, you need me to do this? I got it. I don't know, no Kiana. (laughs) (laughs) He was always on 10. And then, so, (laughs) his his acting comes in when he's actually being more calmer. (laughs) And, well, no. I think that was really him, too. Um, Right. He's so multifaceted. Yeah, so. And I feel like he's able to tap into all of those things to give good performances on screen, whether it is yelling and, and doing all of the extra stuff, or if it is just having a conversation, sitting down and talking to Ox and being humble and how that went and played out. But I just yeah. love this movie and I just love DMX and I just love Nas. And so, and so all of it together, perfection. Mwah, chef's kiss. Um. Okay. <laughs> I have another critique. There's more? Oh my gosh, Rosie, I don't know if I can take much more. Yes, you can. What's up with that scene with the 16-year-old sucking his dick, though? Okay, so... Now, you know um, we can't can't talk about the movie without talking about that. You see, I'm only 16. So Tommy said we couldn't fuck you. But I did suck his dick the night before last. You what? (laughs) <laughs> night before last like <laughs> oh she was so proud of it too oh that's so problematic but and okay so we can't front 
And we, I don't think that the movie is condoning that, but I will say that art is a representation of life. And unfortunately, there are a bunch of predatory people that do prey on young girls. And they, those girls, unfortunately, do feel some type of status, uh, like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, status. Yeah. Um, by having an older dude that they can, they riding in the car with, they being around with, especially if that dude is street involved. And mm -hmm. the ease of that for the older individual is what draws them to that situation in the first place. And it is wrong. I don't think that the movie was saying like, ha look at Tommy, he's the man. He got this little girl. Mm -hmm. I think it was I like, mean, ew, Tommy is reckless. He just out here just, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, really though. And and it showed like he had no remorse or just no insight, self-awareness, if you will, about what, what what is wrong with that particular image and relationship. But I agree completely with what you said. Like, you know, shit, I, I probably felt prey to feeling that way too, um, you know, being approached by men, older men at that age. But I was just like, oh my God, no, now she's saying it and she's proud. Oh no. <sighs> that bothered me. So. That's okay, because I'm gonna see your little ass around. <laughs> right? Like, Keisha, Keisha did press him about getting his dick sucked, but did not say anything that, hey, this girl is 16. Teen. This is yes. wrong. <laughs> you dirty nigga, you. Like, <laughs> like, the conversation that needed to happen after that was just a little bit different. But, you know, whatever. We got the movie that we got. Uh, and then they proceeded to then have sex. And, and uh, uh, apparently that made everything better. Um, and then that, I think that so was it. That was it. So it was, I was like, okay, that's terrible. And then that's terrible. What the? Nothing I, is being talked about and resolved here. What in the hell is happening? And then I'm like, oh, okay. Now I don't know how to feel. <laughs> I think we it. were being shown how much... Um, Tommy had basically, he like you were saying, he didn't have remorse. I think his moral compass was a little bit astray. He didn't have like that understanding of what right from wrong and what that should be. I think he just got to do whatever he wanted and he was good at manipulating situations so that he could continue to do whatever he wanted. And so I think that's what we saw. Um, also, Keisha is not Keisha in that sex scene. They brought in a whole body double and didn't tell her that that scene was going to be in. So she was like, he throws me to the bed. They say cut. And then, you know, the next scene that you see of me is in the bed by myself. She was like, I'm watching the movie at the premiere. My mom is here. And they see that. And I just was like, that's not me. <laughs> wow. So wow. then I was like, oh, I don't, I don't know how I feel about that hype. Like, why did you not tell her? Like, okay, she didn't want to do that scene. That's fine. Use a body double. Okay. But why did you not tell her? There was going to be a body double. Shice bubs. Shiesty. Mm-mm-mm. Okay, but so like, I fully admit, okay, the 90s were a very problematic time, especially in hip hop. And so there's going to be lots of things that happen that I don't agree with, um, especially now as an, an adult, where I probably mm -hmm. didn't see as much problem with it when I was a child, because I was a child. But that does not stop me from loving this movie any less or any of the people that are in it. <laughs> I feel that. I feel that. Because, like, once you once you have a love or inkling for something, it's like, oh, okay, well, you know, I see what you're saying, but I still love it. So, I get it. I get it. Um, but for me, I, didn't, I guess I never loved... If you were to tell me to diagnose Shatas, I probably would feel differently. I love Shatas. 
and we will on a future episode. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, we are in belly, so for, give it to belly. me. And so I'm like, I guess I wasn't as attached to it. So now I'm looking at it from a very critical lens and, and especially because now I'm looking at like sexuality, you know, black and African-American women and like it going back into slavery about how women are treated like that, like how he treated his women. You know, mm -hmm. this is historical for us and it has been perpetuated throughout the years. And so that was the lens that I was looking at it from and seeing the type of like oppression and, you know, racism and things of, in that, of that nature and, and how they're being depicted was bothersome for me, so. I loved every it's second deep. of it. When was the last time you read anything? <laughs> Never, motherfucker! I know, I was like, ah, my kids can eat them books! <laughs> I was like, ah, ah, what? And, and then I had to think like, there's really people Mm -hmm. like that. Yes, yes. I grew up around a lot of them. Um, <laughs> and so that's why I just I just love this movie because it's like, oh my gosh, I uh, I can see so many people I know in these roles. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, for me, the favorite person that I can see in this role is the most obnoxious Jamaican I could ever meet in my life. And I loved him. You're looking at the toughest rascal Jamaican in the United States of America. I run shit. I kill for nothing. <laughs> Come on! Who on ramp with Bumbleclot me? I am the original Jamaican Dandara. You understand? Jamaican road boy. Who on ramp with Bumbleclot me? Come! Come on! I murder people for fun. <laughs> I loved him. I loved him. The toughest rascal Jamaican. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> he just had the best lines. I'm sorry, all my quotables are him. Big beat, big beat, I like it. <laughs> Did you see how he just pulled it from right under the couch and was just ready with the beat? Uh, yes, <laughs> so ready. It was like, it reminded me, that scene reminded me, I think it was supposed to, of Scarface. It was, it definitely was supposed to. They definitely so, got that from there. I really appreciate, though, who does not get enough celebration, Chiquita. Oh. She brought a knife to a gunfight and won. She did. She did. She said, exactly, one and done. In heels and a bad outfit with her. With a little man hair, With a leather head wrap. How you get a leather head wrap, okay? Mm. That shit, I, that, I mean, she. She laid her edges down that day. Like everything was laid as she, after she put that hair wrap on. <laughs> Sick press. <laughs> I don't know about leather booty shorts though. That sounds, that sounds painful. But um, neither here nor there. I just, I just appreciate her and her being an assassin. She's like a, a, a Jamaican ninja. It was awesome. I loved it. I know. <laughs> I know. It was so, it was, she was so badass. I was like, okay, I appreciate this moment. Method Man was another jewel for me in this movie. Yo, I was just why like, why? Why? Have him what was so his goofy Is you mad about it, fool? <laughs> <laughs> he was so goofy. Another oh assassin. God. Another hired assassin. There were so many right. in this movie. We just have murder for hire, just left and right. <laughs> so sad he had to die. No, he needed to die once he punched... Uh, Keisha in the face like I, yeah I was cool with it then 
<laughs> All right. So I guess then we can start with um, diagnosis, really jump into it. Uh, and first, I just want to highlight how I don't have a diagnosis for Tian because I feel like she's the only healthy, well-adjusted individual in the entire film. I agree. <laughs> and so I did appreciate that. I said they've given us different depictions of Black women. We're not all stereotypical. They're not all just shaking ass real fast like that girl in that psychedelic outfit in Jamaica. Just making oh, crap, 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 crap. But, she was, and she didn't get tired either. It was like, I'm here all <laughs> day. Just throw the tips on the floor. It's cool. <laughs> it's cool. I got it. <laughs> we had so many different depictions. We had those and the strippers that we had Keisha who was struggling and 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 was in an unhealthy relationship. We had Tia who was healthy and who was well adjusted. And I'm with Sincere. I'm happy with Sincere because I'm happy. And if that mm-hmm. if I wasn't, then I would have to do what I had to do. Like she was very strong and knew who she was. And so I appreciated right. that depiction as well as Shakita, who was a Jamaican superhero. It's just we had so many depictions of different kinds of black women. And I appreciated that about this film. I uh, think my biggest see <laughs> uh, <CSC. Here> <laughs> my biggest struggle was um was really trying to diagnose Tommy or Buns. Oh, we're gonna we're gonna go we're gonna go straight into it. First thought, okay, all right, I'm ready. Yeah, let's, let's go. do it. It was hard because, like, first thing I was like, okay, I needed to give him a personality disorder, but then I was like PTSD, and I, I stuck with PTSD for a bit. Okay, so when we talk about specified weather, right? And I would say um, with him in particular, I would say it's depersonalization or derealization. I struggled with those two. I would say depersonalization for him. So PTSD and specify uh, the depersonalization simply because I felt like he was detached, you know, and that was his way of dealing with what he was dealing with and being able to do what what he did, you have to be able to detach. And um, yeah, that that's what I have for him. So far, what what are what are you thinking? What did you have for him? So I went back and forth between two diagnoses. Um, I felt like I gave a one a generic stereotypical diagnosis that I feel like if anyone were to just come in and see the different behaviors and symptomology that Tommy was presented with, he would get diagnosed with. And then I gave kind of like my deeper dive because you know. In my mind, I create the backstory. I'm going to give you a whole life <laughs> rundown <laughs> from what the, the hour that I get from this movie. So my first, I guess the more stereotypical one, the most uh, obvious that I'm sure that most clinicians would give just with right away presenting features, it would be the antisocial personality disorder. And so with that uh, diagnosis, there is a pervasive pattern of disregard for and violation of the rights of others occurring since the age of 15. And the things that I felt like were representative for him would be the failure to perform the social norms with respect to lawful behaviors. I mean, the the man was a professional criminal, so law clearly wasn't that important to him. Um, As indicated by repeatedly performing acts that were grounds for arrest, uh, we definitely see that. Uh, He even got arrested in the film. Uh, deceitfulness as indicated by repeated lying. I don't know, no Kiana. The use of aliases. He basically told the police that his nickname was Sincere. 
uh, or conning mm. others for a personal profit or pleasure, which we do see as well. The irritability and aggressiveness. I mean, come on, it's B of X. Right. <laughs> as oh, indicated by <laughs> repeated physical <laughs> fights or assaults. <laughs> I mean, how many people make did that he man kill? strip? And he made that and man he strip. Did... Oh, he called, they <laughs> called him. I know. <laughs> that poor guy. Oh. I'm going to get into him later on, too. Lord have um, mercy. Reckless disregard for safety of self or others. Uh, lack of remorse is indicated by being indifferent or rationalizing, having hurt, mistreated, or stolen from another. And I do feel like he did rationalize that a lot by just them being in a life and feeling like he could do what it was that he needed to do. And the occurrence of antisocial behavior is not exclusively during the course of schizophrenia or bipolar disorder. And so that just outright, that would be the most blatant presentation that we would see that I feel like he would probably get as a diagnosis. But then after trying to go back and really look at him him as a character and what that represented, I kind of then settled, especially um, after him being involved with, um, I'm not sure if it was supposed to really be the nation or if it was mm-hmm. what religion that they were. I don't want to categorize anything. But then I kind of like circled back and settled on substance-induced bipolar and related depression with the onset during a depressive episode with mixed features. And so while that's a lot, I'm, uh, I guess, dig into it and kind of give a little bit more context with that. And so with that, there is the full criteria I met for a major depressive episode with at least three of the following manic or hypomaniac symptoms, uh, which would include elevated, expansive mood. I mean, it's DMX. He yelled the entire film. (laughs) Uh, Inflated inflated self-esteem or grandiosity. More talkative than usual or pressure to keep talking flight of ideas or a subjective a subjective experience that thoughts are racing, increase in energy or goal-directed activity. He felt like we need to be the first ones on the street with that new heroin. So let's make it happen. Like I felt like that was very goal-directed uh, mm-hmm. activity. Um, increased or excessive involvement in activities that have high potential for painful consequences, the life of crime, um, and decreased need for sleep. And that do- drop, brought me to like immediately after they had robbed the one club, they went home. They went to the house and was uh, about to count the money and apologize. You hurt my feelings. And then after that, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I need to say that. That's like, nothing oh, to do with what I'm talking about, but I just need to throw it in there. Really in touch with his emotions. <laughs> <laughs> but after that, the other two, they go home and they go to bed. And Tommy is still like he has that interaction uh, with mm-hmm. Keisha, then leaves the house, goes to pick up Sincere. Like, it's Sincere's like, bruh, like, we just Five in the morning. paper that was late. Like, we just got back. And he's like, no, let's go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I also felt like he was, uh, we do see that Tommy is using, Tommy is getting high during these times. And so I'm wondering if that is the substance induced bipolar um, of it all. But also with, in relation to that, we see him getting clean. And we see as he is involved with, uh, again, I'm assuming the nation. And mm-hmm. how much change happened and how he is even able to say, this is wrong. I'm not going to kill the minister and give in to that. And he was thinking more clearly. Like uh, Nas said, well, Sincere said, uh, you can't stop the sun from shining. Like, and finally that light was shining on Tommy. And so I'm wondering if it wasn't just a constant uh, drug-induced stupor that he's in <laughs> mm-hmm. and being able to be away 
from the addictive life of crime because once you really get engulfed in that, it, I, I, for some people, it does become an addictive lifestyle where it's, okay, you're on to the next thing. You get the adrenaline rush of getting away with certain things, but then you have to continue in order to maintain certain things or not get caught up, whether it be with death or prison or things like that. So you have to keep going in order to survive. And so with him being able to step out of that, with everything clearing up, that's kind of why I got to the substance um, induced bipolar and related depression with onset during depressive episode with mixed features. And so, yes, that's a lot. I know. <laughs> but I, but like I, am, I would like to hear your thoughts on that if you have any. I like this, the the second one. Um, it does make sense, um, especially for the substance use. But then I also um, like that you considered the pers- antisocial personality disorder to speak to more of his behaviors. And so now it's like, which, which one came first? Was it his um, behaviors or is it his the behaviors because of the drugs or is it just because of his personality type? So that's where it's like, I'm having a hard time with like saying which one actually would fit him in this situation. My question is like, so what would you add on to that to justify, I guess, I'm leaning more towards antisocial personality disorder more now. And so like, and that's why I went, I bounced back and forth with it too, is because when Sincere said, long as he knew how to control niggas' mind, he could corrupt anybody. And so mm-hmm. that ability to, like it's that um, playing chess with people and like mm-hmm. not, and having like a disregard for the humanity of those individuals. And that's mm-hmm. kind of is what made me still lean towards that antisocial personality. Like, I feel like that is what I might build for, but I still would treat because there's so much depression like they like there's mm-hmm. is oozing out of him that he was hurting i don't know i bounce back and forth between it that's why i'm like uh help me yeah i think <laughs> I, would I need, need consultation more. on this one <laughs> yeah i would need more because you saw you heard me i would say post-traumatic but i would i would put post-traumatic on top of this too because he did experience a lot and i'm assuming that for for him to be able to do the line of work that he did as a criminal that he had to have seen and experienced some traumatic events. So, and then I'm too, I'm wondering how much cultural is involved with that as well, because mm-hmm. we always focus, especially when we just think of Belly and we think about the opening, the very beginning of the movie. We think about the club scene. We think about the styling and how Drew Ambrose helped them bring that vision together, how awesome it looked. But I think that we sometimes forget that opening monologue. The very first words that are spoken in the movie are, I sold my soul to the devil. Price was cheap. Mm-hmm. Like thinking about that, and yes, like they pulled a lot of elements from Nas and DMX's music into um, mm-hmm. into the film, and to help them get more comfortable with their roles. This was, you know, acting was new for both of them. But for you to be at a place where you could even say that out open <laughs> mm-hmm. and it'd be okay like the the implications of what that means for somebody mentally and i sold my soul to the devil the price was cheap and so if and this is me i can't tie i can't separate DMX from the role and that constant struggle that he often expresses with god good and evil battling for his soul internally mm-hmm. all the time and mm-hmm. the like how as therapists do we separate like somebody is telling you that they are having a struggle an internal battle of good and evil on the inside of them 
you can't ignore that. Like that then needs to become a part of your treatment and you have to tap into that spirituality, tap into that belief system, tap into that a little bit in order to treat that person. And so like what you're saying, oh, they've seen a lot and he's also done a lot to a lot of people. And, it, and that in some way has to be related to the battle of good and evil that's happening inside of him. So considering um, the good and evil, so it seems as if there's a polar dynamic between Buns and Sincere. And, and it's shown, you know, Sincere. Mm -hmm. And Sincere even does it um, himself when, when comparing his home, you know. He said mm -hmm. that he, when he saw Buns, that's the type of home he always wanted to have. But then he chose something a little bit more family oriented and in the neighborhood where they grew up. So I'm, I also uh, wondered what, what diagnosis you had for Sincere. Well, did you say you say you didn't have one for him, right? Uh, no, I do have a diagnosis for Sincere. I diagnosed Sincere with uh, adjustment disorder, unspecified. Hmm. And so okay. I think that he was in the middle of having not necessarily a crisis, but definitely an existential reckoning because he was continuing to read. He was continuing to be enlightened, mm -hmm. furthering the lessons and not. He said we did. We, we all had knowledge of self, but we still was acting like idiots. And so yeah. he knew that there was more. He was tapping into the power that existed inside of him. And so mm -hmm. I think with that, it was causing him to change. Like, you have to be, you know, going through some stuff to be like, let's just pick up and move to Africa where we know no one, have no job set up and haven't done any research. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, and, but yeah. he was like, yeah, everybody got money, but I'm on a whole nother format. It just seemed like he was going through a change, a, a shift internally. And that is why I kind of settled on adjustment for him. And that is basically just marked uh, distress, taking into account the external contents and cultural factors that may influence symptom severity and presentation, where it might be impairment, where it might be causing impairment rather in social, occupational, or other important areas of functioning. I felt like it impacted his social because it was impacting his relationship with Bun and other important people in his um, in his life. The occupational because he was a career criminal. Yeah, <laughs> and mm -hmm. saying like, okay, like we need to make some changes, and then also like the other important areas of functioning. Like I think it was changing how he wanted to be a parent going forward, and all of those things. And I mean, like, who gets shot and just hobbles into the house and says, "Let's just go, let's just get out of here." I just got shot in the leg, T, but it's okay. Nas. Out here. <laughs> Nas would do that. Nas would definitely do that. And, he, and I believe that. And it. I would tend to his wound. I would wrap it up. And you know, if it. I needed to, if I needed to extract the bullet, I'd get my um my, my eyebrow tweezers and you know go to work. Whatever needed the to happen. Eyebrow tweezers, not the eyebrow. That's too close to the eye. <laughs> Okay, so we have to get back to the production of the movie as well. I felt, again, they ran out of money. Like, he was in the barbershop before he got shot, and the barber takes the cape off of Nas. You can literally see the microphone taped to his shirt. Like, why didn't they cut that out? <laughs> I did not even see that. And now I thought I, like I said, I that's a whole it. mic. <laughs> wow, 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 wow. And that's tape. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't see that. And then I now also love. I also love and um, when Nas gets shot, 
uh, he's slapping up AZ and AZ is holding his baby and he see dude coming up. He's like, all right, how about like AZ okay. not playing I'm around now. with the baby. He saw that shit coming like, all right, I'll see you later. <laughs> okay, not me and my baby. Take care of me and mine. And you can't even be mad at him because you, you got to protect oh, your baby. Right? Exactly. Because if you would have stuck around, I'd be like, come on, where you going? What are you doing? Get out of the way. So I'm I'm happy. You saw it. <laughs> you saw it coming. Unfortunately, did you have a di- Yes. And had to get shot in the leg. Uh, did you diagnose Sincere with anything? Sorry. I'm- no, I didn't. I didn't diagnose him. I just felt that he was just one of those individuals who was in the wrong place at the wrong time. And like, just had had the wrong company, you know? I feel mm-hmm. like if he had noticed and was aware of, of who he was and how powerful he was sooner, um, maybe he wouldn't have been around the people he was around because they they were. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you can't, you can't always change who you grow up around and the circumstances that you grow up, grow up around mm-hmm. and the things that you have to do for survival. And that's why I appreciate Nas's uh, Sincere's character so much is because he did what he had to do to survive, to get to a certain place where him and his family could be safe. And then he made the conscious decision of this is not what I want to do. This is not what I want for my life. And he was able to make mm-hmm. that change. And not all the times do people always get allowed that opportunity to take that self-agency and make that change happen. And I also want to highlight that just because he was a career criminal, that doesn't mean that that is what I would diagnose. Just because you have to make life choices in order to survive and take care of Mm -hmm. yourself, your family, the people that you love, that does not, that is not pathology. That's not something that we need to diagnose because that is not the issue. The circumstances at large are the issue and you are surviving within it. Mm-hmm. I just felt like he was just going through because he was having these existential like issues of what is life? What is, who am I? What was the power that mm-hmm. I have, especially as a black man? And so mm-hmm. I just really liked that, um, especially having a father who did share a lot of knowledge itself with me and the lessons. I can't recite them, so please don't ask me to. I'm not going to perpetrate like I am that deep in it, but <laughs> I just appreciated him growing in that and recognizing his power, like you said earlier. So, yeah, I don't really have anything else for him. You know, I wish him and, uh, uh, what is her name? Tian. Tian. Wish Tian the best. Right she tried. in Africa. I hope they started a business that, you know, were successful right. in Africa, whatever it is that they're doing. <laughs> yeah, I was ready, though. I'm not going to lie. She had that gun ready. She said, get out of my house. I said, go, girl. <laughs> yes, girl. Get your gun out. Shoot him. If there's more men uh, in your house, then you probably have bullets in that little gun. But that right. don't matter. You hold down then, your fort. <laughs> exactly. You let them know you ain't scared, <laughs> even though you scared. <laughs> You don't let him show. You scare, scare, but don't show that shit, you know? So, shout out to Tion for doing that shit, holding her shit down. You know what I'm saying? She was a real one. She was a real one. And I, uh, I just love it. <laughs> Speaking of Tion, she also held down not only herself and Sincere, she also held down Keisha, who she I diagnosed did. with generalized anxiety disorder. Mm, tell me about it. And so... 
Part of the uh, anxiety and worry that is associated with generalized anxiety disorder is those uh, feelings of restlessness or feeling keyed up or on edge. I mean, the circumstances that she was within, especially with her relationship, uh, Mm. these feelings and this worry was definitely justified as just more so me putting a label and a name to the things that she was experiencing. Um, We also have the being easily fatigued. We kind of really just saw her at home chilling a lot. Like things would then happen, but she was like just at home, resting, chilling, hanging out. And then like Mm -hmm. terrible stuff would happen to her. Uh, We have the irritability. I would be irritable if you were getting your dick sucked by a 16 year old girl and you supposed to be at home with me too, though. Like, so some of this, I'm wondering (laughs) if I should diagnose it. Like, because she has these, these, this symptomology, but it's justified. So I go back and forth. Either way. Uh, Yeah. um, and also the sleep disturbance because they literally were just talking in their regular voices and he was like, shut the fuck up, you're going to wake up Keisha. And then she came downstairs and was like, I am trying to sleep. Like, bitch, you all the way upstairs. We we talking. We just talking. But And so I felt like maybe she's a light sleeper and that's as a result of her anxiety or she's up worrying about um, Buns because, you know, he's living a destructive life of crime and so you're concerned about your man you want him to come home at night different things like that her worry was justified but I can't ignore the fact that it was there (laughs) and so I did diagnose her with generalized anxiety disorder my favorite PT motherfucking SD okay (laughs) (laughs) she was exposed to so much and then she got beat up in her own house I had to kill a man. Of course she had to <laughs> kill a man. With an ashtray. She had to murder somebody with an ashtray. <laughs> Look at my face. Look at what you did to me. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's what I was diagnosed her with. <laughs> I mean, consider it after all of that, like, yeah. She ended up dying, didn't she? No, she lived. She killed Method Man in the uh, living room. And he's laid out on furniture. <laughs> but she lived. Okay. All right. After Tian bailed her out of prison. Oh, right, 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 right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So and I just feel like, oh, uh, so like I remember her when they were out, I guess, shopping or whatever, walking down the street mm-hmm. and her mm-hmm. just looking at Tiana and saying, all I have is fucked up. And just feeling so bad for that situation and knowing so many that there are so many women that like are in that position where they feel like this is all I have, but it's all fucked up, but it's all that I have. And mm-hmm. just that excess, especially in toxic relationships, that excessive worry like might impair the ability of uh, individuals to build that confidence, especially those that are experiencing like those feelings of anxiety. It, it makes it more difficult for them to build the confidence for them to get out of that situation. So mm-hmm. it kind of perpetuates it's a, a self-fulfilling prophecy, like a negative cycle that just continues. And people uh, can sometimes get stuck in it until they get to a place where they have an out. Like luckily, shh, not luckily, but Tommy had was taken out of mm-hmm. their dynamic due to him having to <laughs> work for the feds in order to stay free. So <laughs> that's up. I was like, wow, this is like Black Messiah and, Ju- uh, and a Judas all over again think about it like it happens so much so the feds are terrible horrible people that terrorize the black community and have been doing it for a very long time 
mm-hmm. all for the sake of the war on drugs that was really only supposed to be a war on colored people, but they won't call it that. So. Even before that, they're just horrible. It's a horrible agency. I definitely feel like J. Edgar Hoover was the devil and nothing beneficial. They couldn't even convict Trump, but they can just terrorize our neighborhoods for centuries. But you know, <laughs> decades rather, not centuries. So the agency's mm-hmm. only been in existence for so long. But you know, that's neither here nor there. Back to this wonderful piece of art that painfully depicted real life. <laughs> in a really twisted way yeah it's just like still Africa <laughs> like that's the, I feel like that's the answer to all our problems Africa see see the deeper meaning the deeper meaning is that but we Africa just need to reconnect with Africa but if Africa we come back then we can issues. we can help with the African issues because these issues here ain't art. This ain't our issue. Oh, right. But then you have to go through assimilation and acculturation and all those different things whenever you get there as a Black American in a new type of Africa that yeah. is also going through its own struggles. Either way, we, there's so much healing. Either we do it here or we do it in Africa, but either know. way, we need to heal. Nice. Right, and Tian just told, chose Africa. We're gonna I'm do trying a big to make the movie make sense. God damn it. <laughs> We're going to do a bonfire in Africa. Don't worry. Don't you worry. Okay. Kumbaya that shit. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so Knowledge, who was the uh, who was annoying and just uh, so much stuff didn't need to happen. But because I diagnosed Knowledge with paranoid personality disorder, he just, him being paranoid, created so much more issue than there even needed to be. Like half of the movie wouldn't even existed if Knowledge just would have minded his own damn business and did his time like a fucking G instead of being a paranoid butthead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He he really was doing the most. But there, mm-hmm. there's... There is always that one person that that you have to be careful who you allow in your circle for that reason. And the minute that someone just starts coming out of nowhere, making shit up, you got you guys to be on it. okay? but see, that's the thing. He didn't know. And he so I think uh, Buns himself was also becoming more paranoid because of his own criminal shit. So if someone's talking about it and giving him and making him feel like, oh, you about to get caught up again. He's gonna. He's doing what he thinks he needs to do to protect himself. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, this was. He he made. He's that one person that kind of annoyed me. Yeah, and so <laughs> I agree. <laughs> and the criteria for uh, paranoid personality disorder is suspects that others are exploiting, harming, or deceiving him or or her. And he basically was like, oh, Tommy not bailing me out. Bruh, Tommy is on the run too. Like, can you give everybody time to readjust? Just take it time and be patient. And then as soon as he got knocked, he called Tommy's house, which like, I'm not even a criminal, but I would know not to do that. But neither here nor there. Um, Mm -hmm. Is preoccupied with unjustified doubts about the loyalty or trustworthiness of friends or associates. Uh, He might've had a reason not to trust Tommy, but he didn't have reason not to trust Nasir. And so him jeopardizing the entire operation just based off that and his paranoia was seemed unjust, where the person persistently bears grudges, unforgiving, insults, injuries, or slights to the point where this person hired a whole assassin, be it Method Man, to basically come and kill them because of the grudge that he was holding. 
as well as perceived attacks on his or her character or reputation that are not apparent to others and is quick to react angrily or with counterattack. And that, again, goes to him hiring <laughs> Method Man. Mm. Where it worked Crazy. in our favor with Rico. Might have to drop, might have to drop a dime on them niggas. I don't like that shit. For sure, bro. I don't like that shit. It worked in our favor there, but it did not work in our favor later on when he then tried to get Method Man to hurt Tommy and Sincere um, with him coming, popping up at Sincere's house uh, and Tian had to pull the gun and then him like physically assaulting Keisha mm -hmm. and her having to murder him with an ashtray. Murderation. <laughs> I'm glad you did it because I felt like it would be cultural appropriation if I did it. But Murder. I was thinking the exact same thing. <laughs> <laughs> Cause you know, I feel like this also was especially around the time when reggae and hip hop started to do their little blend. DMX had his moment. I think a lot of hip hop artists had their moment comes with boom, reggae. It comes to boom. It comes to boom. Yeah, it comes to boom, <laughs> boom, boom, boom. Yeah. This is the first time I ever saw Sean Paul ever in life. Was in this film. Had never seen him ever before this film. I mean, the film came out in like '98. I was supposed to know him before that. I mean, sure. I knew Mr. Vegas. I knew Mr. Vegas. I was just like, who this nice kid doing up there with him? <laughs> yes. it was the glitter in the feathers. I was just distracted because all of the scenes in Jamaica had so much glitter. Like everybody had on, the men had on glitter. Everybody had on glitter. I mean, that shows your class. Have glitter in your classy as fuck. <laughs> but the last person that I did want to diagnose mm -hmm. was Black. And I diagnosed him with general personality disorder. Uh, <laughs> A lot of fucking heat coming off that couch. <laughs> gonna get you up, man. Gonna get you. It's like you, you are sitting there butt naked. You just. <laughs> I hate Ray. Like you still butt hurt because you naked shit. over there. You, you butt naked. You can't talk shit. Like they made you strip, but you butt naked sitting there. It's because he's one of those PhDs. Money. He's one of those PhDs. Play hating dickhead. I was like, <laughs> someone told me that when I got my PhD, and I was like. Mm. <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> I was like, just don't become a player here and dickhead. I was like, mm, okay. <laughs> and so with the generalized personality disorder, it is manifested, or basically it's an enduring pattern of inner experience and behavior that deviates from the expectations um, with it manifesting in cognition. So the ways that they perceive and interpret themselves or others, affectivity, range, uh, intensity, and appropriateness of re <laughs> emotional response, interpersonal functioning, and impulse control. I feel like he clearly perceived himself in a way that he shouldn't have, where he felt like he deserved as much of a cut as Sincere, and then perceived right. that that situation was going to go the way that he wanted it to by setting up Sincere. And uh, yeah, okay. And then <laughs> his appropriateness hmm. of um, reaction and response, like, but you butt naked, you still trying to you gonna get yours. Shut up for our pistol whip you. Like, okay. I'll beat your ass in here. <laughs> <laughs> that impacted his interpersonal functioning and then his impulse control within trying to get Sincere back, even though Sincere isn't the one that bitched you, Tommy was, but you still felt the need to shoot Sincere. And then you got murdered and your homeboy got murdered as a result because you couldn't control your shit, you player hating mm -hmm. dickhead. <laughs> 
<laughs> well said. <laughs> I have nothing else to add. <laughs> Yes, yes, yes. Let's just go. Uh, Let's just go. <laughs> Let's just go. You right. You right, Sid. Let's just go. It was go. either that. It was either that or Atlanta. You know. Ah! So, because <laughs> that's the only options for Black people. We either can go back to Ghana because they are opening us, welcoming us with open arms, or go to Atlanta because you know that's Black Mecca of the state. <laughs> I'm gonna pack my shit up today. I meet you there. I meet you there. One way ticket. <laughs> It's a long ass flight. I was thinking about not coming back. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to um, <laughs> belittle moving to Africa because lots of people are making that decision oh, now, and yeah, it no, does no. seem like a, it seems like a, an awesome opportunity for a lot of people. It just didn't fit in this film the way that they it did presented not. it, <laughs> and that's why I have to make fun of it the way I am because I'm just like so. Because all things are possible because all of the power that exists within Black men is infinite and they can make anything happen. It doesn't have to be logical or make sense. You know, I'm going to make this okay just because I love them. Like, I am completely biased and no one should listen to me because nothing that I'm going to say is going to make sense either because they're, they can do no wrong. It's Nas and fucking DMX, all right, directed by Hype Williams. There is no wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Disney but you know what? Has... It's what the people wanted to see. We did a poll right. and they wanted belly. So here we are. <laughs> here we are. But I was like, you know, Disney made this movie. <laughs> first of all, about Disney, don't you? First of all, don't you take so my much love more for belly by introducing <laughs> Yes, no one would have parents. Everything no would have, have gone astray. It would be a 16-year-old girl. He, he would still be fucking her because Disney loves putting children in romantic relationships. Mm, mm. Yeah, it, it would be bad. It would be pretty bad if Disney did it. So, you know, I think it ended I don't know where way. the fuck this is going. You know what? I think it's time because to Because I'm talking about Disney. a Disney ending. You, It's not a Disney ending, but it kind of is because it's like this fairy tale ending that, that only Black people have. We deserve fairy tales too. And in our fairy tales, we are enlightened like buns. And we, the sun shines on us and we possibly go back to Africa or Atlanta, depending on your budget. Yeah. Black, black people, happy ending. I love it. <laughs> Long live DMX the Great. I appreciate him. Everything that he has given to the culture, given to me as a person and my development he helped lead me on my spiritual journey because in my mind, I am a spiritual gangster. Um, <laughs> and thank him for his first acting debut, giving us such an iconic movie, despite its problematic <laughs> themes and Trash. concepts. Hey! <laughs> we still love this movie to this day. We still talk about it. It's still a part of the culture. It represents... Yes. So many things that we have healed from need to continue to heal from yeah. and in some ways aspire to be. So with that being said, if you would like to support the show to get help us get more content out to you all, you can visit our website and follow the support the show link to become a Patreon member, buy our merch or donate on our cash app. Now, we're happy to get the kind of money that jingles, but we would rather the kind that folds. As always, be sure to follow us on Instagram 
at The DSM Podcast. And you can subscribe to our show wherever you get podcasts. While you're there, go ahead and leave us a comment because we are counselors and actually care what you have to say. Until next time, y'all. Peace. Okay, bye.